so, yeah, we're doing these short summer sermons, uh, basically going through the shortest books in the New Testament. Uh, we're starting with Philemon. Uh, how many of you have, first of all, read this book? Yeah, okay, there's, been, there's a few of you. Um, it's okay if you haven't. It's pretty small. It's easy to miss. Uh, it's actually the last letter in uh, the set that we have in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. And it's very short. It's one chapter. Well, it's like it doesn't even really have a chapter. Um, it's, just, it's just one chapter. And it's, it's an interesting book for a bunch of reasons. But before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of this, um, I kind of want to talk about the main theme that's here. So I was struggling to figure out how exactly I was going to open this sermon uh, in a light way, uh, especially because it's summertime and, you know, it's sunny out and we don't want to be dark and dour and sad. Um, but the tricky thing is, is that Philemon is, is about a, an emotionally difficult topic when we get into it, and that topic is reconciliation. So I don't really know how uh, to start a sermon in a way that's light when we're talking about something that... Uh, when we get into the nitty-gritty of it, can often feel pretty close um, to uh, the, the core of our hearts. Um, sorry, let me just get my timer going so I can make sure that we, I finish on time. Um, and, and reconciliation, like the need starts really small. I don't know if you guys have ever served in kids' men, um, but you start seeing that real early. Like, kids just throwing toys at each other, kids stealing from each other, and it only sort of progresses from there as we get older. And there's, there's kind of this spectrum, you know? There's, like, little things. There's, like, when you show up at work and you're in the office and somebody brings Timbits, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get some Timbits, like, as the workday progresses, and then you go, and the Timbit you were hoping for is not there anymore, and you're like, oh, I know who took that, you know? There's, like, little things like that. But as, as time goes on, there's also the really, really big things. Um, there's the things that, that happen when it, 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 it actually, I mean, and sometimes the, this word trauma gets thrown around in our culture. Um, but when I use that word, I'm, I'm just talking about how, how sometimes you can have such a painful experience that fundamentally changes the way you operate and, and work and look at the world. And those are things like uh, betrayal and abandonment and abuse. Uh, but I don't, and I don't really know about you, but I, I've experienced both the little things and the big things. And this letter is giving us a unique, very gospel-grounded and very gospel-centered approach to what it looks like for reconciliation to happen, and specifically between Christians. Reconciliation is a massive topic. Forgiveness is actually a massive topic. And so I'm, I'm probably gonna fo- I'm not going to focus so much on uh, what that looks like out when you're trying to navigate that with someone who's not a follower of Jesus, uh, because that's not really the focus of this letter. But I want to ask you, like, do you, in both the little things and the big things, what's your regular response when somebody hurts you? If you're anything like me, it's not that you want to move toward the person, except maybe to hurt them back. Uh, You often actually want to move away. Uh, Or you want to, yeah, like I said, you want to hurt them so that they never do it again. And there's, there's a bunch of reasons why we don't want to reconcile with people. We, we don't want to get hurt again. We don't want to be vulnerable. Uh, we don't want to feel like people are going to lose respect for us because it's like, well, you know, if I let this go, then other people maybe are not going to really treat me with respect. They're going to think that I just let this sort of thing happen to me, uh, and I don't want to do that, so I want to 
you know, show them really how they should treat me and they shouldn't treat me that way. And I'm not going to forgive them. Uh, and then the other thing too is if, if I forgive, a lot of the time it feels like there's, there's this weird outstanding problem in the universe. <laughs> this outstanding debt that's just unpaid. And it's, sometimes it's like hard to live in a world going, that thing hasn't been resolved. That's just really, that can be really, really difficult. And then there's another, there's another side of when it comes to bitterness and unforgiveness and, and our, our desire to not reconcile with people is that we, we can often think that when it comes to reconciliation or when there's a breakdown in a relationship, that it's just between me and the other person. And it doesn't involve anybody else. And, I, you know, if you think about that, um, that's actually not the case. Because for, and there's a bunch of reasons. Uh, if you're in community with a person that you have a problem with, and there's other people around, usually you start to get a sense that there's something going on, even if you don't know exactly what it is. Uh, and it can, it can actually be even especially awkward if like, you're the person, you're like the third party, and you know two people who are having problems with each other, and you're like, I think there's something going on here. And when I go to this event, the other person doesn't show up. Or, you know, there's always like some odd... So like, and, it, and it starts to actually affect the dynamics of the whole community. And, and that's actually... And, and then, not only that, but when, you, when that's been fixed, there's so much refreshment. Because what was, what was awkward and weird and tense before becomes relaxing and peaceful joyful. And like I said, that's why Paul's writing this letter to Philemon. Um, it's a situation like this. So if you've got your Bibles with you, if you want to just turn them, open them, open your app, uh, we'll, we're, we'll get into it. I'm going to give sort of an overview of the story of this uh, behind this letter, and then we'll get into the, the meat of it. So Essentially, Paul and Timothy, you look at the, at the first verse of Philemon, you see it says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, if we look through the letter, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, because I want to leave some for you next week, Vic. Um, but Philemon is this guy who lives in this town called Colossae. We actually have, uh, it turns out, two letters to the, this place. One is the letter to the Colossians, and the other one is Philemon. And uh, Philemon, is, he's, a, he's a Christian. He's a pretty wealthy guy. He owns uh, a big house because the church, and we know that because the church meets in his house. And like wealthy landowning men in the ancient Roman Empire, Philemon also owns slaves. And that's basic to the whole way that the economic system of the Roman Empire works. And he turns out to have had this one slave who leaves him for some reason. And we don't know exactly why that happens, but this slave's name is Onesimus. And as we look into the, the story of, of the book, as we, as we sort of gather and see uh, what's going on, it seems like the story goes something like this. Onesimus belongs to Philemon, and still legally does at the time of the writing of the letter. And Onesimus left for some reason, which is a big deal in the Roman Empire. Slaves aren't supposed to leave. They're recognized as pieces of property, and they're actually part of the economic assets of their master. And Onesimus leaves for some reason. We don't know how this happens, but somehow 
Onesimus winds up meeting the Apostle Paul, who happens to know his master. And one thing leads to another. And Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus, finds out that not only has Onesimus left, but there's some bad blood between Onesimus and Philemon. And it's possible that Onesimus has actually stolen some things from, from his master. But the main problem that uh, Paul recognizes to Philemon in the story, if you look at verse 11, Paul says this about Onesimus. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I don't know if you've ever had a coworker uh, that you would describe as kind of useless. Um, I have. Uh, and... I don't know, who knows, maybe someone has felt that way about me. But it's not a fun time. And uh, essentially, this is the problem. Philemon has lost money on this guy. And somehow Onesimus has become a Christian. And Paul is like, look, you're a Christian now. You have a new identity. And Philemon, you're a Christian. You have a different identity. So you have to relate to one another differently. Because you're both brothers, actually. Not, and that's fundamental to the way your identity works, not slave and master. Even if that, those roles technically stay in place. So what Paul does, he has this crazy idea. He's going to send Onesimus. Who, it turns out Onesimus starts working with Paul in terms of ministry stuff. He's going to send Onesimus back with a letter. Based, and the letter, he's going to write the letter to Philemon. And he's gonna, in that letter, he's going to say, Philemon, I want you to welcome Onesimus back. And I want you to forgive him. And that's unheard of in the ancient Roman Empire because masters had, because slaves were recognized as property, masters actually had the power, at the very least, to, to physically harm them or throw them in prison or potentially even kill them. And so what, what Paul's asking, finally, and finally he's lost money, he's out as a result of Onesimus' behavior. And so this is a big ask that Paul is doing. So he sends Onesimus back carrying two letters. First of all, the letter to the Colossians, which we also have in the New Testament. And we also have the letter to Philemon. And he sends him a buddy of Paul's. His name's Tychicus. Uh, and so the idea is Tychicus is going to be the guy that they see so that they don't totally throw Onesimus in jail or worse as soon as he sort of gets to the front door. And, uh, and then they're going to have a reconciliation conversation. And so this is where we see uh, we get into the actual meat of the letter. And so, as Paul normally does, he opens with this prayer. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. He's talking to Philemon. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith or the partnership of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And he says this, For I have derived much joy from, and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And I want to focus on verse 6. And, and the main point tonight, guys, is that I, I think one of the things we see is, is that Paul... Paul's trying to get Philemon to recognize that what you have in Jesus, you, you actually get to see it more fully when you share it in reconciliation. You actually, you actually don't get the fullness and the breadth of how far that spreads 
if it just stays with you and you actually don't forgive people and not just forgive them, but reconcile with them, especially when they're actually part of the same family as you are and you share a father in God and a brother in the Lord Jesus. And let's look at verse 6 for a second. So what does Paul say? He's like, I'm praying that the sharing of your faith, you might ask, okay, what does that actually mean? Is, is finally talking about evangelism. And if you look down to verse 17, you actually see that it, in, in one way it's a kind of evangelism, but it's a very specific kind. And you know that it, he's actually talking about reconciliation because he says in verse 17, he says, Look, Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him, that is Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And he's like, I want that experience, that experience of, of Onesimus being treated like me. And in other places, Paul, he's done some other things. He, he actually talks about Onesimus as his child, as his son. And so he's actually seeing that there's been this transformed identity that Onesimus has. And that Philemon is actually supposed to relate to him mainly on that. And not as though he's a slave uh, to Philemon. And that, that's, that's crazy for a bunch of reasons. First of all, if, if Onesimus is freed, uh, if, he's, if he's being treated like a brother... How is that actually going to affect his role in Philemon's household? He's, a, he's been a slave. What do you, how do you treat your brother if he's, if he's your employee? <laughs> kind of changes the relationship. That's one thing. So I, I, Onesimus is freed in a bunch of different dimensions. But only that, Paul's actually asking that Onesimus get sent back so that he can actually be involved in ministry for the gospel with Paul. So he's actually... He's actually being, Paul's asking that Philemon recognize, and that not only Philemon, but the whole church, because you look in verse 2, it says it's to the church in their house. So it's almost like a personal letter to a very public audience. And Paul wants this relationship of Paul being, in, of, of Onesimus, sorry, there's a lot of names, uh, being recognized as a, an actual full member of this church. And that's going to transform his entire identity, his entire social sphere, his entire experience of being a, a person, not being recognized mainly as a slave, but mainly as a brother. And not only that, but that actually gives hope to a lot of other slaves, because you actually get to see how this dynamic transforms the way a slave, who's very low status, who's a piece of property in the ancient world, actually gets liberated to be some, someone far more than that, but actually a family member in God's family. Not only that, but then the awkwardness, like the awkwardness in the con that comes from the conflict that I was talking about earlier, that gets done away with. Uh, and everyone gets refreshment out of that, which is, I mean, what Paul says, he sort of alludes to that at the end of verse 7. He's like, everybody's been refreshed from you. I want you, I want you to share your faith and reconcile with Onesimus, so that everybody gets all that we have in Jesus and that everyone can be refreshed as a result of this. So I want to ask you, like, are you... When it, okay, so how does that actually relate to the way that our reconciliation works among each other? Because being part of a family, being part of a church, people are going to step on each other's toes, and sometimes worse. 
it's part of the reason, part of the way that family works, uh, not just outside the world, but sadly inside the church as well, because we still sin. Um, although we've been freed by it, we sometimes forget that, and then we, we still operate out of that. I think the first thing is, is maybe that I want to say is that this has been something I've had to, you know, you, you prep for a sermon like this, and you have to sort of ask, okay, so is there, is there a way that I need to do this in my own life? Is there anybody who's outstanding that I need to reconcile with? And, you know, you process through, okay, what are the reasons that I might want not want to do that? And there wasn't, there was actually somebody, there's a, there's a family member that I have that I'm still sort of in some ways in the process of reconciling with. And I was talking to, actually to Gio, he's not here tonight, I wish he was, but um, I was sort of talking to him about it, and he, he said this line to me that I think just strikes at the very heart of what Paul's getting at here. He said, Ryan, I think what you probably need to do is to relate to this person first as a Christian and then as a family member. And by that, he means like a family member of my own biological family. Because that's the case in this situation, that is actually, this person is, is, a, is a, a Christian. And I think that that changes the whole, the whole dynamic. Uh, because you can't, because you're, in some ways, you're stuck with them. <laughs> you're still family, uh, no matter what. And God's your father. And, and when, what really enables you to do that, guys, is when you look at what Jesus has actually done for you. When you recognize that you were a slave to all sorts of wrong things, of going your own way, when that's cost not just God, but other people, and not just other people, but God as well, that you actually, before you come to Jesus and you come to know your Father in God, uh, you could be described as useless, because when you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you're, you're useless, actually. You're not able to bring about, be a part of bringing about the new creation that God wants to bring into the world. And not only that, but one of the things we recognize when we look at the Garden of Eden story is we recognize that part of the first sin is actually stealing. So not only are we useless, but we're useless thieves. <laughs> and God's response to that, and Paul does this amazingly in the way that he treats Onesimus, God's response to that is to pay what pay for you what you owe him and then adopt you into his family and to give you a new job and to, and to entrust you with his possessions, to invite you into his family and to not count anything that you owe him against you. And when you have a problem with somebody and you look at that problem and you feel like, man, I don't want to approach them. I don't want to deal with this. I don't, I don't want to sort this out. And then you turn and you look at what Jesus has done for you. It's pretty hard to stay there. Not only that, but when you look at what Paul does, Paul's, Paul's not just, and in some ways, I mean, we'll see this next week as well. Paul uses every tool in his tool belt to try to persuade Philemon to do this, short of ordering him to reconcile and forgive Onesimus. But what he does is he actually presents Philemon a win-win situation. He says, look, all I want from you, Philemon, if you look at verse 17, he says, all I want for you, for, from you, if you consider me your partner, 
and showing everybody the fullness of what we've received in Jesus. I just want you to treat Onesimus. I want you to welcome him home like it's me, like Onesimus is me, which is exactly what Jesus does for us with the Father. But not only that, he says, and not only that, but I'm, you actually aren't going to lose if you, first of all, if you free Onesimus, which I want you to do because I really want him to join me in gospel ministry, because I'm going to pay for him. He doesn't ask Philemon to say, I want you to absorb the cost, Philemon. Paul's like, I will absorb the cost. And I just, I just think that's amazing because really, when, when it comes to this issue, you might be like, okay, well, Ryan, I don't, I don't, I'm not really angry at anyone. Or you might say, well, I don't really think I've wronged anyone. Like I've, you know, I've done that before, but like we've reconciled, everything's fine. But that means you might actually fit into the category of Paul. And you might know or you might see some people in this church community or a wider church community, and you know those people are not reconciled to one another. And this example, this story, doesn't allow you, if you're in that position, to sit on the sidelines. Because when there's, a, a, there's bad blood, when there's conflict between two Christians, that's not just between them. That's, that involves our whole family. And so it's something that we all need to take responsibility. And, you know, there's ways of doing that. I would, you don't just sort of stick yourself in where maybe it's not exactly your direct business. But we need to be people who, who actually pursue seeing reconciliation happen between each other and not just letting the awkwardness sit around in the community. We can't do that. The situation doesn't allow for that. And that's... That's central to what this, what this book is, is saying to us. I, I want to ask you, who are you in this story? Are you Philemon? Are you somebody who has been wronged? And you need to forgive somebody. Are you Onesimus, who actually needs to take a really big risk and potentially take a hit to your pride and just clear the, clear the air? approach somebody and say, look, I know I did this thing and, and it was wrong and I don't have a good excuse <laughs> and I'm sorry and I need you to forgive me. Because that takes courage. But, but you do that from a place of knowing that Jesus has already forgiven you. That you already have security in that relationship and so that even if that person doesn't forgive you, you're not at a fundamental loss because Jesus, first of all, he works in those situations and he's forgiven you, he's for you, and he wants to bless you. And then I also have to ask you, are you ready to be a Paul? That might cost you something. To be ready to step in the middle of two people who are at odds, who have a problem with each other, and to say, I'm actually going to be willing to absorb the cost of damage that's happened in this relationship so that there's reconciliation and peace in this whole family. It's a tall order, but that's what Jesus did for you. When you look at that, when you see the beauty of who Jesus is and how generous he's been to you when you least deserve it, it undercuts your pride of wanting to hold on to your, your own reputation, your own resentment. And when you see everything that he gives to you, it gives you hope that, first of all, you're not going to be stuck at a net loss. One of the things I've found, there's a, there's a passage in Luke, uh, 
I'm going to turn there really quickly and then I'll be finished. Jesus says this. He says uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, he says, Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. He says, Forgive and you will be forgiven. And give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's interesting that Jesus says, give, after he says, forgive. Because sometimes, that's the thing, is when there's damage, when someone's done damage to you, somebody has to absorb the cost. Either the person says sorry, and they try to do restitution, and they try to make up for what the damage has been done, or you, as the person, say, I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm not going to expect you to pay me back. I'm going to absorb the, the cost. And sometimes that's hard when somebody's wronged us, and we feel like, well, I don't really have anything to give. This person has really hurt me. They've really under, they've really, really wounded me. I don't feel like I can actually give to that person. So the question is, where are you going to get that? Where are you going to get the ability to give? And Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. And he says, the measure you use to give will be measured back to you. So there's a promise there that actually when we do, we step into doing the work of reconciliation, when we're willing to actually give and pursue that and seek to p- see people reconciled, Jesus will make up the difference. And that frees you. That frees you to give because you're not stuck at this net loss if someone takes something from you, whether literally, physically, economically, or actually relationally and personally. So I just want to ask, like, think about what this would mean if we were a people who, we were a community who this was just part of what we did. We're willing to be Onesimus, we're willing to go to the people we wronged, and we say, I blew it, I screwed up, Jesus has given me a new identity, and I want to act in that way, and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? If we were people like Philemon, and we actually recognized that, and we say, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this against you. You're my brother first. You're my brother in Christ first. And you don't hold that over your head. You don't bring that out of the back closet. <laughs> you let them be free. And what if we were people who were like Paul, who were so committed to the work of reconciliation, that we actually step between people who are in conflict and absorb the cost so that there's peace in our community? Because when you see that, when people who are outside of this community see that, that's not the way the world operates. And there's an opportunity there for everybody, not just in this community, and not just you, and not just me, but everybody outside to see the transformative effects of what happens when Jesus comes in and changes our identity and pays our debt. And that's what this is about. This is for Jesus' sake. And that's what I want to leave you with today. Guys, it's when, we, it's when we share this, when we share the generosity of God and we pursue reconciliation with each other, we actually, re- we actually get, we finally understand and see on a broad level all that God has given to us in Jesus. I'm going to pray quick and then we'll be finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to just still pray. I just want to share one a quick little story of a city gate. I'm not going to mention any names. But um, they had come to faith in the last two years and have both um, uh, gone through 
this particular uh, relational, uh, I guess, tension with family members in their family, but also church members in, in the Christian family. And uh, it's been an amazing thing. And my conversations uh, with them, sort of pastoral, uh, counseling them, but not even counseling too much because what Jesus has done for them was so fresh. Okay? They came to faith like, you know, not even 24 months ago. The, the, the reality of what Jesus has done for them um, is still so fresh that it was, it was a very natural next step. But just the way they could not believe that pre-Jesus, there was no way, there was no changing of it. Best way I, can, I was thinking about something that's been tarnished forever. It's a silly illustration. It's the only one I could think of in the moment. I climbed up onto my roof many moons ago, like maybe 15 years ago. Um, it was a corrugated iron roof. I put a ladder up on it. I climbed at the top. It was raining, and there were leaves gathering at the top. And I climbed up, and the ladder, because it was cement, the ladder slipped out. It was wet. And so I fell, and I, on my way down, I clipped my nose on the edge of the corrugated iron and I fell on my face on the floor and it was very painful and my wife was very empathetic not she's like you idiot it's wet what were you doing and I, okay I didn't get any sympathy from her but one thing that did happen is it changed my nose forever I just want to let you know that I have this little scar this little thing it always looks like it's a booger and it isn't it's a scar and you know it's like it, I can't change it I mean, maybe I could if I'm into plastic surgery and stuff, but it's like, this is the way Vic looks from here onwards. It's like, my, it changed me in ways that I was like, okay, I'm just going to roll with the punches. And this person described like relational tension in their history pre-Jesus as like, when you fall out with a family member with somebody, it's just the way it is from here onwards. You walk circles around, you don't ever speak to them again. You just carry bitterness. They hate you, you hate them. And they were just thinking, this is just the way life is. When you... When a relationship gets wrecked, you, you, uh, you eat it. And then she became a Christian. And could not believe that, there was ac that actually this is encouraged. So even when there was scratchy relational tension with other believers, and the encouragement was to go reconcile it, and that this happened. They were like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgiveness, it's over, it's gone. They were, they're like, how did I survive without Jesus before that? I wanted to just say to you guys, like we often take it for granted. Maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time, you're like, hey, man, this, I know the gospel, I get it. But for somebody who came to faith and, and, and whose life has been challenging in terms of relational things, this is such good news that, there is, that you don't have to have a permanent scar and forever carry the, that in Jesus it can be redeemed. It can be turned around. Guys, this is an amazing thing. Do pray for us. Thank you. Jesus, we... We're in... We don't owe you anymore, but we're indebted to you. And you absorbed the cost for us. Thank you so much for absorbing the cost for us. Would you help us to be ministers of reconciliation, not just um, to see people come to know you, but for people to be in harmony with each other? I pray that there would be zero, absolutely zero bitterness inside of City Gates in any person. 
I pray that we would be freed and that in, in reconciliation we would get, we would finally receive the fullness of what you have for us and the generosity that you've shown. And I just pray that whoever's here who needs, who needs that, who needs to forgive, who needs to ask for forgiveness, or who needs to work to facilitate reconciliation, that they, wouldn't, that they would hear your voice and that they would obey you in faith. I pray that you would help us walk this out in Jesus' name. Amen.